Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey, while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Okay, welcome everybody to episode nine of the Great Birth Rebellion. B is back with me today. We've just returned back from the Australian College of Midwives National Conference, where we may have partied a little hard. Oh, we didn't party hard enough. <laughs> but I wasn't announced as the Australian Midwife of the Year. Another Well, look. Technically, you weren't announced by the ACM, but I did announce you as the Great Birth Rebellion's Australian Midwife of the Year. Anyway, we had a great time. We had a great time at the conference. I okay. didn't drop the any CEOs on their head, but I parent. What did I do to your husband? You. So my husband. The, the theme of the dinner was a taste of the tropics or a touch of the tropics, and he's a terrible theme for a gala dinner. Can we just put that complaint in? It was in Cairns. Yeah, but just nothing says gala. Like tropics do not say gala. But anyway, well, we he dressed, up. dressed he, up very well. He was wearing um, coconut boobies and a, a hula skirt and he had a pineapple drink and a lay. And, and Mel, um, wa- Mel made him wear pants underneath because he just wanted to have his undies. Wanted to have his undies. He, he was fully confident in himself. And there was a point was. in the night where Sorry. the beat dropped and he ripped off his shirt and started swinging it above his head. And then QB, she comes up behind him, launches herself up onto one of the tables or chairs, and mm. then gives his coconut boobies a bit of a grope. It was a very um, good moment. It was a moment. I met, I was right there, so I just whipped my phone out and recorded it. It went to Instagram, but it's gone now. But anyway, we need to talk about being confident in ourselves. I feel like that is the theme of our chat today. So yeah. why are we here? What are we talking about today? Oh, we're here. So we're episode nine and we put out questions on, well, we put out a little post on Instagram to ask if anybody had any questions that they wanted to ask us because we had intended to do a Q&A episode this episode. We put out the questions. What we got was a buttload of questions from student midwives, midwives who are working in the system, people who are keen to become midwives, wanting to know how they can do that in a system that feels broken and that doesn't serve women and how can they be the midwives that women need in that system. So we are doing Q&A today. We'll centre our chat around the questions that came in, but we have plucked out the questions from student midwives, from midwives and from prospective midwives about how they can work in the system. But this, I think women still need to listen to this because they're going to get incredible insight into what happens in the system and how midwives are trying to navigate that for their benefit. So this gives you a bit of like insight and knowledge to what's going on in the system. It's also what I'm going to come at is relevant to anyone. It's really about tapping in to who you are and being your badass wise woman. So the tips I'm going to come at, you can apply this to yourself as a mother, as a birthing person. I mean, the stuff I'm talking about applies to everything. So keep listening. Well, let's start at the beginning of the spectrum. So these are questions from women who are interested in becoming midwives. And the first question we're going to address is, so this is a question that says, I want to study midwifery, 
but feeling very overwhelmed about training slash working in the system and especially a system that seems to be broken. What do we say to women who are interested in becoming midwives, but already know that the system is kind of flawed? Well, I mean, I always love what Rachel Reed says around this. The system isn't so much flawed. It's doing exactly what it sets out to do, which in it's it's a pathophysiological space. So it's designed to just purely keep you physically alive and well, the emotional health isn't aspect isn't there. And I mean, you've just got to look at this. You know, if you look at our mothers and babies report or it all it reports on is, is outcomes like life, death, and then where the baby came out, how the baby came out, nothing around emotional, spiritual, cultural safety. I think a firstly, if you have any knowledge into the system, that can be a huge benefit because I think so much so many of us go into midwifery and so many people go into midwifery with that romance first reality because it isn't just the romance of catching babies and soaking up that oxytocin. The reality is, and it's changing quite quickly at the moment, but that's the reality. It's becoming very much around computers and documentation and and answering to policies and procedures. I think if you're thinking about studying midwifery, one of the things you really need to think about is why. What do you want out of it? What do you want it to look like? Because I think for a lot of people, what they actually want to be is a doula. The word midwife means with woman. And the system doesn't really allow you to be with woman. It allows you to be with computer, with paperwork, with the doctors and midwives at the desk discussing the care. You know, it can be really hard to be with with women. And the second last place I worked in that was an extremely busy tertiary referral hospital, I was like, oh, now I get it. Because it was exhausting to try and be a midwife the woman and the family needed you to be and also be a midwife that the system needed you to be. So really, when you first think about studying midwifery, why? What do you want out of it? What do you want to be? And how is the best way to go about that because there's many different ways that you can work as a midwife too. It's not just working in the system. So there's that. The other thing I really want to say here, and this applies to anyone at any time, never underestimate what you can do for someone in a very short amount of time. When I first became a midwife and I was a new grad, I was really struggling because I was working in fragmented care. And I'd done that for three years, but I'd also had my follow-throughs, which um, for those listening, students have to follow through a certain amount of people in their training as a continuity of care. We used to have to do 30 and now it's about 10. It depends on the uni. As a new grad, I was just working fragmented. So I had no continuity. And I had an older midwife say to me exactly what I just said, never underestimate what you're going to give them in the eight hours that you care for them. But to sustain that, you need really epic self-care and professional practices that enable you to have the capacity to do that. So it's about looking after yourself professionally and personally. And so for professionally, we always say, find your people. So Mel's my person. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. This sustains us. Listening to us may, may be a part of what sustains you. I go to conferences very rarely for the content. I go for the networking, for the people, for the relighting my fire and my passion and my inspiration. I always got involved with the ACM to be 
able to find my people. So one of the biggest things you need to do, whether you're wanting to study midwifery, whether you're studying it or you're in it now and it's just not fulfilling you, find the professional things that do fulfill you, that give you the capacity to do what you want to do in every shift that you turn up for. And the young ones are just coming out and getting burnt out because they're not being loved and nourished and midwives if you're listening to this the coolest thing we can do is support our students and our new grads and nurture them and love them and maybe that's what you give to midwifery is actually supporting and nourishing them and that's where you put your capacity and I would encourage anybody who is thinking about becoming a midwife I would encourage you to become a midwife because the current I just saw some uh, research presentations that said that globally we are short about 900,000 midwives, like in national, uh, internationally, all over the world. So we have a shortage of midwives. So there's no reason, you know, it's not a hard profession to get into in a sense that if when you graduate, you will find a job somewhere, guaranteed. Can I also encourage midwives to choose the midwifery, bachelor midwifery path over the nursing and graduate diploma of midwifery path. So and I 10 million percent that. So there's two ways <laughs> please. There's two ways to get in. You can either be a nurse and then do a graduate diploma of midwifery to become a midwife, or you can go straight into a bachelor of midwifery and focus all of your career efforts on being a midwife. So I was a nurse before I became a midwife, but only because before that, I was a naturopath and they wouldn't give me any uh, credits for prior learning if I entered the Bachelor of Midwifery. So I made a kind of an academic decision to do a Master of Nursing and graduate Diploma of Midwifery with no intention of being a nurse. I always wanted to be a midwife, but you don't have to do it that way anymore. That used to be the only way. But B did Bachelor of Midwifery and you were one of the first cohorts from memory. Yeah. And it was hard. Like I did my first crack at Liverpool Hospital and they didn't know what to do with this. They thought we were so incompetent. They made us sit in the corner and watch, you know, and this was, the uni has changed a lot since then, but they sent us out before we even learned how to make a bed. But then they just kept us in the corner. They didn't let us come out of the corner. And then I went to Nepean for my second two years and then we were the first B-mids they'd ever gotten there. And they were like, well, what can you do? Like, you're not a nurse, so you can't do anything. The issue is in small country towns and in remote settings, they want you to have nursing to be able to take care of all patients. So like in a remote Aboriginal clinic, they want you to be able to be an ED nurse and a midwife. So uh, you got to think about that, right? If you don't want to be a nurse, don't do nursing. Don't have nursing because they'll make you work as a nurse. Have midwifery. You want to be a midwife. You want to learn as much as you possibly can about midwifery. Do the single degree. We need midwifery to be its own profession and to really move away from nursing. And that's what we're saying is that historically they tried to lump midwifery in with nursing, but it's two different philosophies. So what we're talking about is separating nursing and midwifery because they're two completely different things. They're both women working in hospitals, but that's as far as it goes in terms of similarity. You can and not even women. There's men doing it and True, all I'm people sorry. doing it. But this is and this really irks me. Like when people are like, Oh, you nurses are amazing. And I had this nurse at my birth. No, you didn't have a nurse. You had a midwife. Midwife was its own profession. Then it got lumped with nursing. Nursing is pathophysiology. Nursing nursing is to look after sick and injured people. It is nothing 
It is not midwifery. Midwifery is physiological with the ability to recognize and refer and treat birth-related mm-hmm. issues. look after sick people and make sure they don't get any more sick and help them get better. Midwives look after well people to try and prevent them from getting sick, right? And those well people are pregnant, birthing, or postpartum. That's right. it. So yes. it's the opposite order of care. So we are not, so a lumping midwifery in with nursing went along with the process of trying to medicalize birth. So we are demedicalizing birth by focusing on separating midwifery from nursing and eventually separating birth from hospitals. And there's a really cool chapter, I think, in your, what's your canary, your birthing outside oh, the system book? <laughs> birthing outside the system, Canary in the Coal Mine was a book that, yeah. Yes, I put a chat. I had a chapter in that was based really cool to read that and understand because really midwifery got lumped with nursing because we became a threat because we were awesome because we are awesome and we need to really take that back. So if you're a student or a person who wants to study midwifery, and even if you're a midwife or a human being listening to this, knowing your story is super important. And I want to, I'm going to come back to this at different stages, I know. But what I want to say around becoming a midwife is know why you're getting into it. Because I see a lot of people go into it because of what they got and they want to give that back, which is epic. But I think a lot of people go into midwifery and doula, doula because of the trauma that they've experienced, whether they consciously are aware of it or not. Understanding you and knowing your story is really important because that's going to enable you to understand what is going to trigger you later on. And this is deep psychological stuff that I'm talking about, but I think it's really important. And I was an angry midwife for a very long time because I just couldn't stand what was happening. I remember the first home birth I went to made me really angry because I was like, what the are we doing in there? But I was angry and I fought a lot with doctors, right? Because I always took the side of the woman and midwifery and fighting and anger doesn't belong in the birth space. And it does more damage for the person you're caring for and for the people you're going to care for. The coolest thing that we can have in the system is epic relationships with our colleagues. And I know, you know, like I can come across like anti-private obstetric care sometimes. I'm not, but I am very pro-midwifery. And if we think about what the role of a midwife is, so for students who are thinking about moving into midwifery and, you know, be saying, work out why you want to be in midwifery. But also remember that midwifery is not really, it's not looking after babies. It's loving, caring for, fighting for women who are pregnant and giving birth and postpartum that we're there to hold and care for women. And we get sidetracked by so many things, including the requirements of the hospital. But if you're considering becoming a midwife, and you're looking at it going, oh my gosh, it's big, it's so hard. Firstly, I want to say that is a sensible place to be because midwifery is big and it should be hard because it's so important. So they used to, they don't anymore. I got invited not to come back to talk to the prospective students. So my uni used to invite me. (laughs) (laughs) I need more information on that. I have invited not to return. So this is what happened. You got in, you got invited. You got an invitation for an uninvitation. I got Tell an me. So 
they used to every year because I was a student then I went straight out into private practice right and I I graduated as the top of my university class in midwifery that's a whole other fun story about graduation where I was arguing that I was at the wrong point in the line they tried to put me at the front of the line for graduation I'm like no I'm Jay Jackson I should be over there like in line they're like no you're graduating with distinction I'm like okay that's nice I thought that was just my general grade but apparently when you graduate with distinction that means you were the top of your class anyway anyway common sense isn't always common people you can have a lot of book smart so I think because I was graduated the top of my class and then I went off into private practice and was all very staunch and confident they invited me to come back every year to speak to they used to have like an information day for students and they'd invite previous students back to talk about their experience and what they're doing now. Anyway, I stood up there one day and I said, look, midwifery is such an important profession. If you're coming in here thinking that you're going to just glide on through with 50% result and not put in much effort, I'm telling you now, maybe this is not for you because you don't want to get midwifery wrong 50% of the time. You want to try and get it right 100% of the time. We never will, but that should be the aim. And I said to them, look, the way you care for women, they're, they're going to remember you. Birth is a memorable, memorable event. And so let's do a really amazing job because if you don't, you are going to be potentially responsible for traumatizing women. So this was my talk. And then off everybody went and did not join midwifery because of how petrified they were of traumatizing all the women. And so I got called into the person's office who organizes registrations for students, and they noted a significant reduction in midwives who wanted to join midwifery that year. And a number of them cited fear of traumatizing women as their reason for not signing up. So they did not invite me, but I had a talking to. Meanwhile, we are 900,000 midwives short internationally because I could be well maybe okay look we want you to be, be midwives we do we really want more epic humans if you're listening to this and you're an epic human so we want you in midwifery we want you to stay in midwifery we want to support you to stay in midwifery we need to come together to be able to do this I would love if every midwife had an emotional mentor I think you know and when we talk about that it's hard it's birth transformative you are invited in it's a huge privilege it's huge honor to be invited into the birthing bubble of a family and to be able to witness them transform because that's essentially what you're doing is you're witnessing a transformation and we always talk about birth being a transformation but really if we're if our eyes are open that transformation begins in pregnancy what we need from pregnancy and birth to go into motherhood begins at the start of pregnancy. And so we're really there to hold that space and allow that person to move through that transformation and in a really respectful, nourishing way. So don't listen to Mel. I can't believe that happened. That's the funniest thing. I can so see it happening. That's why you didn't get midwife of the year. (laughs) Yes. They're like, how do Well, and the other thing that I... You heard midwife of the year. Short of midwives because of 
That was me. That was a shortage that year because of my pet rock. And the other thing I want to tell students, you either, if you're a student, you will have already noticed this if you've been at uni and then go to placement. And for those who are yet to enter, be aware of this, is that uni is like the ideal. So they'll give you all this amazing research and information about how we should look after women and and how to be a woman-centered midwife and the midwifery philosophy. The university gives you this beautiful, uh, idealistic idea of how midwifery is going to be. And then you go in all excited and then you get into the hospital and it's nothing like what they told you at, at university. And then you have this constant confusion about why women are giving birth on their backs and why there's a massive episiotomy rate and why that person's being induced because it's not what you learned at university. So you have to know that reality is, is they will teach you the best way to be a midwife and they'll teach you all the most amazing things at university. And then you'll get into hospital and it will not resemble what you've been taught. And if you're wondering about that, listen to episode eight, and that will explain to you why that's happening. And I do think that it has to be taught that way at universities because otherwise nobody will question what's been done in hospitals because they don't realise there's a difference. You know, it was like we'd go to uni and we'd be all fired up and all inspired and all like, yes, we can do this. And then we'd go out to placement and we'd come back looking like, you know, homeless and battered and bruised from our placement experiences. And this is what happens when you go into the workforce is you no longer get to go back to uni and get inspired and lifted up and re-motivated and yes, we can and, and around your people. And this is why if you are working in the system, setting things up for your professional capacity bucket is super important. So booking the conferences in, doing the online courses, whatever you want to start, start it. It just has to be you and another person. Set it up. Have it, have it regularly, book it in. I know, especially if you're a midwife with a family, it can be really hard. But if you want to know the best way to survive in the system, this is it. It's the external stuff. So it's really having those things in place. Whatever it is, the more of that that you can do, the more you'll fill your cup, the more you'll be able to take back to people in your care. Oh, I just want to talk about this for hours and hours because it's so important. Yeah. Sorry. Oh. I'll let you talk. Unleash. Unleash. I mean, I think there needs, there is currently a battle that we, when you become a midwife, you put yourself into and you either give up on attempting change and submit to the system and comply with what's expected of midwives in a hospital system. And that compliance is to go with the flow, follow the policy, don't rock the boat, know where you sit in the hierarchy because there is a hierarchy. You can either align with that and be a compliant, submissive, know your place in the hierarchy because actually that is an emotionally protected easy way of being a midwife but and I get it if you've got a lot going on in your outside world that's where you're gonna be and you know I've definitely gone through state no actually I haven't I've never been that midwife (laughs) I've never and I and I see you if you're that you're listening to this and you're like yeah that's me that's okay yeah because you we need you to change you know what it is because the system is hostile It is hostile to the individual and it's hostile to anybody who doesn't comply. And this is the same as how women who move into the hospital, if they don't comply, they'll experience hostility. 
because there is workplace violence, horizontal bullying, horizontal violence that goes on between midwives because those midwives who are complying and settling and following the rules get pissed off when midwives don't. So if you're a student and you're thinking, I want to be a midwife and I want to go and work in hospitals, and probably you're listening to this podcast, you're not going to be that compliant, quiet, peaceful midwife. I would hope that if you're listening to the Great Birth Rebellion, that you have intentions to go in there and mess it up and dismantle the current hierarchical systems. Be laughing at me on silent. Very good. What I want to say is, is that when you go in, just know that that's the intention is that you intend on continuing to challenge these hierarchies. So what B's saying is that takes energy, that takes a personal confidence, that takes strength to not be beaten down and broken down by that process. And you've got a challenge with compassion. It's so vital to me, Bufri, and, and just being able to survive in the system because, yeah, I mean, I've been victim to, to bullying uh, which I never thought I would, and it and it can ruin you. It you know robbed me of my second pregnancy. It's extremely traumatic. I'm super grateful for it now because it's made me who I am, and I'm stronger for it. But it took a lot to get through it. And sometimes you do. You have to be the clever one that plays the game. And I never stood for that. I remember being my uh, my. Our older colleagues would say that when I was in the ACM, you got to play the game. And I would be like, F that, I'm not playing the game. No, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to say what I want, but it didn't get me very far. And I thought I was being clever and I wasn't because it's, you got to think long-term. The other thing is that capacity may not be there because you're already exhausted from your home space, you know, women that go to work for a break, which it's not, but they go to paid work, they leave unpaid work to go to paid work. It's hard to have that. So all the external stuff that we keep talking about, like finding your people, that is how you survive, not only survive, but you thrive and and how you hang in there. And we need you. Totally. Families need you. Midwifery needs you. Please stay with us. Please join us. But the thing that happens to me often when I'm out at midwifery events is I'm approached by a lot of people. A lot of people are so lovely and just like, thank you so much for all your stuff. The other people who approach me are students desperate to understand what they're feeling. And that confusion comes from that idealistic, beautiful university experience, which is the safe space. And honestly, that's where you're going to get the best information. And then moving into the hospital and like, how do I get from this moment at the very beginning of my career to getting to a point where I can become a private midwife or enter into a workplace model that I align with, like continuity of care or at a birth center or something that's not the fragmented hospital system that they're working in because it doesn't align. And I'd say to them, look, you've got it. This is your opportunity. At the beginning of your career, it's going to be the hardest that it'll be because students come in, again, there's that hierarchy. Students come in at the bottom of the pile and everyone thinks they're free game. And so it's so tricky. You, there's an element of keeping your head down and not making a fuss whilst also not compromising your own moral standard. And so because that's a survival mechanism, right? Because you've got to know that when you come in, the majority of people in the hospital I will not value you. You are of value. And there's going to be those beautiful number of midwives who see the value in students and are kind, who want to encourage and build up students. But you are entering into a hostile environment, but that's okay. 
there's something you can learn in there. And what you need is the basic the basic exposure to the midwifery skills that you're going to need that'll take you through the rest of your career. So what I missed out on because I became a midwife and then got the hell out of there because I just was not in a point where I thought I cannot stay here one minute longer than I need to because of how toxic it felt to my personal mental health. And I'm out, I'm out of here and going out into private practice. But then the things I missed out on was really honing a lot of basic clinical skills. I mean, I've got a stack of them now, obviously, after being in private practice for 14 years, but things like getting really good at vaginal exams, learning how to suture, take bloods, put in cannulas, basic skills that you need to do over and over and over again to get really good at. So when you're working in a system, you've got countless opportunities to do all those things, do all the in-services, get really good at neonatal and maternal resus, get really good at managing postpartum hemorrhages, work on, you know, you'll get to see a number of potentially breach births, shoulder dystocia births, looking after women with complexities, like all these clinical skills that you can learn in a setting that has a high number of turnover of women coming through. Something that you might not get with a continuity of care program or in private practice where you see smaller numbers of women over a broader care scope. So there's positives to being in there. So if you really concentrate on going, what can I get out of this experience? And like B was saying, building relationships, because if you are planning on going into private practice or continuity of midwifery care, you do need to have good relationships with people that in, in the system, if you need to transfer, if you need to seek higher level care. So we really can't go in, and this is for all midwives, we can't go in fighting, making a fuss because it won't be received. It It's unprofessional to start with. It doesn't benefit the woman because everybody then is damaged and hurt. And so we need to strategically practice kindness and compassion. And when I was growing up, my mum used to just like hand amazing gold books at me that had the most amazing information. And there's two books that I read that have basically formed how I see relationships and the needs of people. The first one is a book by Dale Carnegie called How to Influ- How to Make Friends and Influence People. And the other one was Who Moved My Cheese. So, oh my gosh, B, if you haven't read it, she's laughing. Who moved my cheese? Just. just so people know, I'm muted the whole time because there's a horrible sound thing that happens. So I have to be muted. Yeah. So I, I laugh a lot more than you're hearing. Yeah. But Mel mutes me. But I want to know who moved your cheese. Who moved my cheese? Oh, it's it's theoretical. So, you know, it's the idea of not doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result because the cheese moves and you've got to follow the cheese, right? You can't keep doing the same thing because it's not going to – anyway, you got to read it. I don't, I'm not doing it just I, – When I was a student midwife, I remember thinking, this isn't a time to be the midwife I want to be. This is the time to find out who I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. right? Because as a student, it felt like you never got to practice how you wanted to. You had to practice how the midwife you were working with wanted you to. That's what it felt like for me as a student. Like, oh, I'm with her. She does hands-on. She cuts the cord straight away. That's what I need to do to not get in trouble today, you know, and just survive this shift. Oh, I'm with her. Awesome. She's going to let me do X, Y, and Z. But 
I really valued that because I got to pick up on all the things I didn't like and all the things I did like as well. So it's this real incredible, whilst you're learning to be with families, you're also learning about midwifery and and being with midwives. You're also learning the game of how to be with those midwives that don't practice the way you philosophically align with. And then I remember being a new grad and being like, oh, now I get to be the midwife I want to be. And then finding out that that doesn't always happen either because there are battles with that as well. And so it is, it's, it's, it's tricky, but connection and compassion is if anything's going to get you to where you want to be, those two things along with the cheese, the three C's, cheese, connection, and compassion. (laughs) I'll put it in the email so everybody can also read about cheese. And the other thing I want to say too is if you're out on placement and you've identified that there's a midwife that aligns with your philosophy and who is kind to you and who you learn from, it's also okay to say when you get there, um, can I be actually approaching that midwife and saying, can I be placed with you today? It's okay to sort of turn up and get, can I be with you today? And that midwife might actually feel complimented by the fact that they're being sort of idolized for their chosen yeah yeah don't um, pick the people that make you feel safe because when you feel safe you're going to be at your safest you're going to put your barriers down you're going to learn more um and that's what we mean by find your people but yeah you can totally ask and if it didn't happen that shift try and line it up for the next shift look at the rosters who's going to be on can i work with you i i love students though i've always loved students because you're our future mm-hmm. you're the person when i press that button who's going to come into me and you know you can say that you can say hey I really want to learn for you because I'm going to be your future colleague I'm going to be the person that answers your buzzers and I want to know I want to be the best I can be for the people I'm caring for but for you as well Mm -hmm. right and I remember being a student and just being like like really bamboozled by the fact that these midwives were trying to tear us down because it's like no you're going to need me I'm going to need you Let's not tear each other down. Can no. never tear us apart. Dun, oh, dun, dun, dun. I'm going to mute you now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a story when I was a student because I was that, um, you know, everyone everyone rolled their eyes when they saw me. They knew I wanted to be a home birth midwife. They knew I didn't agree with the induction rate. They knew I wanted to work in the, work in the birth centre. Anyway, uh, I had, you know, as students, you do these follow-through experiences where, you know, you follow 15 women or so through their whole pregnancy. One of the women who I was following came in in labour and she said, I want to walk around. I want to walk around the hallways. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. So she's walking around the hallways in labour, waiting for her baby to come. And a doctor walked up to me and said, what are you doing? And I said, she wants to walk through labor. So we're just doing some laps of the hallways. And and they pulled me aside into the office and they said, she has to go back to her room. And I said, she doesn't want to. She wants to walk around the hallways. And they said, well, if that baby dies, it's on you. And I said, fine, because you can't kill a baby by walking the hallways. Okay. Like this was just the fear, weird fear mongering and bullying that happened to students because a woman wanted to be mobile in labor. So, you know, this is how I lived my student years is just rubbing people up the wrong way until the educator who was secretly kind of my little buddy and on definitely on my side from what I could feel. She said, you know, you can't stay here, don't you? 
And I said, I know. She said, we, did we, you get uninvited again? <laughs> I got uninvited to be, to stay on as a, as a midwife. So we are conditioned to be good girls, right? And you always, I always bang on about being your badass wise woman, but we are highly conditioned to be good from the way we're parented, the way we're schooled, the way we're governed, right? We have this deep belief system that if we are good, then good things will happen. And if we are bad, then bad things will happen. This We talked about this in being like one of the first episodes on being a rebellion. But, you know, understanding that is super important because naturally we're conditioned to be good and do as we're told and so the when we're constantly set when we're constantly told you you know might be sued for this you might lose everything for this that gets in that really messes us up and I know in my practice in from being at that place in over a year my practice changed dramatically because I was so scared that if I didn't press that red button I would be set off, uh, fired, like I watched some of my other colleagues do. So we would lose colleagues. In my in my case, I practice, we lost three. They just magically disappeared. And then you would find out later down the track that, oh, they were involved in this case and then this happened. And then, you know, never given enough information to feel safe about it. And so all this fear generates in you as a midwife. And you're not allowed to talk about it. Like when I the stuff happened to me around the free antenatal classes, I was I was silenced. In my um, letter with my allegations of misconduct, I was told I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. The this It gets even worse. The person, I, so I had a complaint out against the director of nursing before I did the classes around her trying to get me to take a nursing patient load. I'm not a nurse. That's against my scope of practice. It's outside my scope of practice. And so I had said no. And I'd put a complaint in and basically I, what I wanted was a policy around direct entry midwives so that we wouldn't be asked to take general nursing patients, right? So I was trying to protect myself and my colleagues because there was five out of 13 midwives that were direct entry. So I felt that it was valid and we needed it. Then when the um, when I did the antenatal classes, I got the allegations of misconduct and she was overseeing them. Now, she is the person I had the complaint out against and she was overseeing my allegations. This And it blew my mind that this could happen and it was all formal, it was all on, you know, hospital letterhead, but I was silenced. And so I couldn't tell my colleagues why I wasn't turning up during a pandemic to work when they were short staff. And this is, I had seen this happen to me. I had seen this happen to other colleagues. They just drop off the face of the earth. You don't know what's happened, so you speculate. Um, and then that drives more fear to be good and be your good girl. And I want to take this moment then, B, because something has been festering in my heart for a little while because it's the students who are really struggling that reach out and ask what can they do to survive. And so I've been growing a little baby, not a real human baby, a little support baby, And it's called the Assembly of Student Midwives, but it also includes new graduate midwives. So student, rebellious student and grad, new, uh, start again, rebellious, rebellious students and new grads assemble because on my website, melodymidwife.com, I am going to start an assembly of rebellious student midwives and the whole intention is, for well, student midwives and new grads, The whole intention is to create a community of your people, but also to hark back to the the education that you would have been getting at university and to keep going with learning about physiological birth and how to navigate your way through the system. I've been doing some reading about burnout as well. 
And this is the issue facing midwives. And not only are continuity of care midwifery setups, like privately practicing midwifery, the continuity of care midwifery programs in hospital, not only are they good for women, but they've also found that they have a higher retention rate and less burnout rate than other models of care for midwives. So this little assembly that I'm assembling of rebellious students and new grads, the idea is to keep you working as a midwife, support you through that, keep bringing research to the fore, help you keep learning about physiological birth, helping you find your people so you can keep going because we need to keep advocating for women. And if you're becoming a, if you're a student midwife and you're becoming a midwife, if you're a new grad, keep focusing on advocating for women and physiological birth. And so that's what it's about. You're so, going to want every, everyone's going to want to be in that. You're going to have to open it up to everyone. And the new grads will become. Yeah, maybe you'll like, have to be. If you listen to this being like, I want to do that. And then the new grads become second years and third years and they're going to uh, help and take care. Yeah, have a think they about want that because they're going to open. And I love what you said about, you know, the hard, the hard years are really at the start of your career because you're a baby in your transformation. You know, it's your first labor is those your student years and your, you know, your new grad years. You're really, you know, they are. Then the hardest days are behind you every time you have a hard day you've done that one now you get stronger and stronger for them and you only continue to grow I remember being a new grad and I went to Darwin to work because they had continuity of care and they had a birth center and they had water birth so I went to Darwin to get that experience and I was lucky because I was single and I was without kids and so I could just do that but when I got to Darwin they didn't want me yet because I was a new grad and I just remember being like no 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 no. like this is why I'm here (laughs) and you have to keep going sometimes you have to do things you don't want to in order to get what you want and there is a lot of value in doing the things you don't want to as well Um, but it's yeah it's your focus around that so if you turn up every day going oh I don't want to do this you're going to burn out before you actually get to what you want or you're not going to get to what you want because you know you won't be the right person for that then so really seeing value in the uncomfortable so really seeing the value in what you don't want to do and where you don't want to be because that may be the time that you build a relationship like when I started off uh, in a big Melbourne hospital and had to do I was going to do caseload and they said you have to do six weeks first on the ward and I was like sorry what and they were like you have to do six weeks orientation before you come into our caseload model and I was like no way I'm not doing that no I couldn't believe it I was distraught over having to do fragmented care Mm -hmm. it was the best thing for me. It was the coolest thing because I built connections with people on the ward. I became one of them because often with caseload, there's us and them. There's the caseload midwives and then there's the hospital midwives. And there's a, there can be, not always, but every model I've worked in, there's been tension. So that it enabled me to build connection. I was the friendliest. I was exhausted for being so friendly. I was the friendliest version of me I possibly could have been. I turned up every day. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, And so for me, I put my energy into being the friendliest version of me I could to build the connection and the relationships. And that served me through that stint that I did in caseload because I'd been one of them first um, and I'd built those relationships. And I learned 
I learned a lot about the hospital and where I needed to work. And it actually made me a much safer midwife when I went into caseload care. So right, absolutely right about doing hard things that you don't want to do to get to the place you need to be. Because mm. that is being a student midwife. It's the whole thing of being a student midwife. Mm. It is new grad, it's being a new grad. And it's also those 5,000 hours. The other big thing that people come up to me about is midwives who want to be private midwives, but they haven't finished their 5,000 hours yet and they can't bear looking down the barrel of having to do 5,000 hours in a model that they don't believe in. And I'm like, if you want to be a private midwife, this is what you have to do. Making the most of your 5,000 hours. And in my, I do a mentorship for privately practicing midwives. Oh. It's actually about to launch in mid-October. It opens only once a year. But there is an entire module there about making the most of your 5,000 hours because you have to do that. That is the hard thing that you have to do to get to the place where you want to be. And if you don't do it, you won't get there. And so if you want to be a private midwife, have that time frame of starting as a BMID student, doing your three years, and then doing another three years to get your 5,000 hours before you can move into private practice. And look at what you can do in six years to build the most incredible skill set and private practice midwifery self that you possibly can because six years at working at being an expert in something is enough to be really really good at your job and you'll come out of that being the most amazing incredible privately practicing midwife if you spent six years doing the hard work and focusing on building skills that you'll need for private practice midwifery or wherever it is you want to be if you want to work in a birth center rural, continuity of care, midwifery. If you want to work in management, heck, if you want to work politically as a midwife, you know, there are massive avenues for you to make a stack of change not working clinically. So there's massive range. So And I'll- nothing is a waste of time. And, you know, now if I have to do things I don't want to do, it's about refocusing. And rather than focusing on, oh, I don't want to do this, this is hard, this isn't what I want to do, being that, yeah, I'm going to turn up today in this system that I don't like working in. I'm going to give the very best I can to this family. Or I'm going to build a connection relationship with a colleague that I haven't, you know, worked well with before. I'm going to change that now, whatever it is. Um, and then build the stuff in your personal life and your professional life that allows you to be that badass wise woman. Yeah. And all of this hard work will take energy and it will empty your cup. So you've got to have a concerted effort to refill it and make sure that other areas in your life are not also draining and taking from you because it's going to be a limit. And B, now you've got me thinking about the assembly of rebellious midwives. Maybe I just open it up to all rebellious midwives. Oh, you're doing that. That's going to happen. Yeah, you can't. You can't exclude and I just want to say too, because we've forgotten to say this, students, you are the closest to the best evidence-informed care there is. Mm-hmm. Never underestimate. I've said that a million times. The title of this podcast needs to be never underestimate. But never underestimate your knowledge. Like you are, I, I love working with students because you are, you're seeing all the new research. You're onto it. You're the people doing the research or looking at the research. You are, your practice is so evidence-based. So never doubt yourself around the evidence. I've had a few students reach out lately and be like, oh, I know all the evidence. And then I sat in this appointment and 
the doctor or the midwife was saying the opposite and I didn't feel like I had a voice. And I know that's really tricky when you're trying to build relationships to then get a job in that area. But again, connection, compassion. So maybe you don't bring it up in that appointment. Then afterwards you say, hey, can I have a chat to you about something? I was just reading this research paper because I had to do an assignment on it and it said X, Y, and Z. So I, I was making it, you know, when, when I read that, this is what I understand. Now they're probably going to come at you with a sentence that protects them and what they've just said, but they will probably go away and look at it. And if you've done it with kindness and compassion and their protective barrier hasn't come up, they may go away and reflect. They may go away and look up that paper and go, hmm, she's right. And then the next time you're at an appointment, all of a sudden, they're speaking what you were speaking. Those, the little conversations, often what you want to happen doesn't happen then and there, but you'll see the flow on effect. Don't underestimate the flow on effect. That's incredible too. What you do in 2022 may actually come to fruition in 2024 when that doctor you had that lovely chat with remembers it, goes, oh yeah, I, I looked at that research. That was a really valid study. Yeah, maybe we could change this. They're at a policy review and go, go hey, maybe we could incorporate this into it. I feel like we need to. I think, yeah, I think we've done it. But really this all really became about new midwives surviving a system that maybe they don't align with. But what we've ended with is massive strategies for any midwife who is struggling with the paradigm of working in the system and their own feeling about what they want to be doing in the system. So we can implore you. There's going to be a button on my website. It's happened just in this moment. Of course it did. Yeah, so this is how ideas spark, and now we have to do the hard things and pursue them. Recorded live. Recorded live. Woo. So go to melaniethemidwife.com, click the button that will have something to the effect of rebellious midwives assemble, and mm. we are going to talk about and build a rebellious community of midwives who support each other, love each other, build each other up, cover evidence, look at ways of doing things in the system, outside the system, in a supportive, safe environment. It'll be national because we can be online now because things happen on the internet. And I won't be in it because I don't have the time for it, but I'll be on the dance floor at any conference you ever go to. Come and let me... Yeah, dance with you. That's how I fill my cup. We'll go to a Latino club afterwards. We also, after the conference, I realized we need to just skip a lot of the conference the- and do the dinners and the and dance. just have a midwife, like the biggest midwifery party. Like people would just travel in for the midwifery, for the party. But the dinner and parties. Yes. Yeah. So I think we need to host a few parties. Yeah. We could have great birth rebellion parties. Oh, yes. let's oh do that. God. It's happening. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk and about they're that. they're going to have much better themes. We're so doing that. We oh. could like look at some journals before, have some dinner yes. and then party. That's yes. going to happen. I think what we've also realized is Q&As don't work for us because no. we've done one question. <laughs> but we do have a massive left list of questions now that will serve us to help know where to go next with the podcast but we did we stuck to a topic though B. yeah and that's okay. me like you are good at sticking to topics come <laughs> on like we all heard you in the hannah podcast we're like uh oh, b we need to bring it back now well you know if you can handle if you can keep me on track that is an achievement okay see you later legends. i'll let everybody know about the great rebirth great birth rebellion party Parties. train bus that's that will it will happen, and That's then join the assembly of rebellious midwives. Epic. So. Mwah.
Okay, we solved the world's problems. We will see you in the next episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, Fee, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs>